In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast i hope that everybody's having a beautiful day i hope that some beautiful surprise happens to you and you're blown away by the beauty of life and i hope that happens to everybody today and i'm going to try to do that today with my good friend tim oliver right here we are uh going to be getting into the world of different kinds of mushrooms from cleaning up chernobyl to the aztecs to what's happening around him and what's happening in hawaii uh, for those of you that don't know, Tim Oliver, tagline, Ancient Medicine Advanced Mycology. I love the way that sounds. He's the founder of Modern Mushroom Cultivation, and it's a clean, organic, and dependable community that he's working in for the uh, the space. And so, Tim, let me throw it over to you, my friend. Maybe you can first off introduce yourself and then uh, tell us a little bit about founding Modern Mushroom Cultivation. Yes, George. So, yeah. My name is Tim Oliver. I'm the founder of Modern Mushroom Cultivation. So for the last four years, I've really just been trying to plug away, kind of getting ready for the legalization uh, phase out here in Oregon. Once Measure 109 was officially announced and we knew it was going to actually go through, I've just been putting everything together to kind of make this actually a reality out here. There's been a lot of hurdles that we've had to come over and just uh, a lot of things that have happened in just recent months. So things are really getting exciting out here. It's really uh, moving fast and uh, we're just uh, wanting to, you know, share it with the world, kind of what we're working with out here and super uh, excited to kind of get everything going. Finally, we've been doing uh, fundraising for the last, I think year now at this point and, you know, just reaching out to multiple people all over, you know, from the Netherlands to, you know, here in America to Canada, pretty much anywhere that, you know, will willing to talk to us about this. It's my favorite subject. So, uh, you know, just reaching out to the community as much as possible and, you know, just trying to get things going. So hoping that uh, the fundraising ends soon and I can actually get back to uh, growing mushrooms and providing for the uh, mental health community out here in Oregon. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. For maybe you could provide a little bit of a foundation for those people who may not know like what 109 is and like what's happening out there. Maybe you can give us some of the some of the uh headlines that have been happening out in your area right there. Yeah, so just at the beginning of this year, Measure 109 was actually officially launched. And for the last, I think, two years, Oregon has been really just putting in all the foundation work for the rules and regulations to put this all kind of together. And basically, at the very beginning of the year, they started receiving applications for manufacturers, workers' permits, and uh, facilitators. So it's not going to be like a dispensary model where you'll be able to walk in and purchase psilocybin mushrooms and take them back to your own home and consume them. In Oregon, it's going to be more of a therapeutic setting where a person will go into a service center. They will have an integration session where they'll go through the processes and they'll be made aware of how, you know, the process, how the service center will, you know, take them through their journey and their process with the mushroom and, then they will actually consume on site and they'll be required to stay in the facility the entire time that they're under, you know, the hallucinatory effects of the mushrooms. So basically what we're looking at is definitely not a dispensary model as of yet that might move to that in the future. Um, it's one of the safest drugs that can be consumed. We know that, you know, in the literature that's safer than cannabis consumables as far as, you know, emergency room visits, uh, definitely safer than alcohol uh, considerably. You don't want to drive on them, but uh, they're definitely a little bit safer and a little bit more tolerable. Um, now, out here in Oregon, one of the things that we're definitely looking forward to is the therapeutic aspects to this. So we're thinking that the big majority is going to be PTSD individuals, uh, suffers from uh, ailments such as Alzheimer's could potentially be something that we would look at in the future as well, uh, anxiety, depression. Uh, but I also think that there's a great possibility for just helping people better themselves. You know, like uh, I imagine the person that works a nine to 10 job all day long, uh, they, are stressed out from just everyday life and it would be beneficial for them to come in and maybe decompress just one time a year, uh, come into a service center and, you know, take one of these trips with an individual and be under supervision. It's a safe setting. Uh, they know that they can, uh, you know, receive, uh, you know, some type of therapy if they need it, but, uh, it's not, um, purely going to just be for therapeutics. It can also be for just, you know, helping individuals, you know, overcome life's, you know, tribulations and issues. Um, but it's also going to be very beneficial for the people that do need the therapeutic side of it. Um, I personally seen myself overcome anxiety from it. Uh, I've had you know multiple experiences. Uh, we can kind of touch back on how I got into this in a little bit, uh, how I actually kind of started my venture into the psilocybin market. Um, but I do see a, a mass, uh, problem with the way that therapy is taken care of currently. I think that the current model of prescribing pills or medications is just a band-aid that is kind of just temporarily overlaying the underlying problem. It's therapy kind of touches deeper into that, but when combined with psychedelics, I think that there's a potential to go much deeper into the psychology of why this is affecting a person the way that it might uh, be. 
I think that one of the problems that I see is all of the current pharmacology, they're made in a laboratory. One, to be patented for profit, right, right. which is the wrong perspective. We're trying to help people, you know, so, uh, and the thing is they try to keep these patents alive for as long as possible. They'll constantly go in and tweak the chemical just a slightly as soon as their patent is about to expire to keep that inside the patent uh, law so that they can continue to make profits off of this uh, chemical. Um, and they're taken in the long term. These pills, a person will be prescribed them at a dose at the beginning that will gradually increase over their lifetime. And they're required to take this presumably forever. Um, where with psilocybin, it could be one dose two doses, maybe three journeys to actually achieve something that actually addresses the underlying cause. It's not just trying to mask the, the way that it is sort of presenting itself in your life. It's actually going down to where the actual problem started and allowing you to see yourself from an outside perspective, kind of like I'm no longer myself, I'm seeing myself from an outside world and I can take account of all the things that make myself up as this individual and say, okay, those are the stupid things that I need to get rid of. <laughs> those are the things that, you know, I, that are holding me back. They're, they're, they're making me kind of react to the world in this way, in a negative way. Um, and with psilocybin, it really allows you to alter your brain chemistry. You're able to literally rewrite the way that the uh, brain neural pathways ignite. So with that, I like to kind of think of the brain as like, whenever you have a bad habit, it becomes easier and easier to cope with your issues such as using drug addiction or uh, maybe, you know, having an outburst with a loved one or using a coping mechanism that is unhealthy. And it's kind of like, it's a path that you walk over every day. And those habits become deeper and deeper entrenched into you every time you use it. Now, whenever you use psilocybin, it allows you to kind of make a new pathway to jump off that unhealthy path and kind of view it and think, wow, that's, that's a stupid path. I need to kind of go at this differently. I need to stop, you know, doing these unhealthy things that are really controlling my life and just it it makes you take account of yourself in a different way i really do believe um and i think that the, the i really do appreciate oregon for seeing the potential right. of these therapeutics it's it's revolutionary we're really at the beginning of all of this and i just think that you know the amount of businesses that are going to come out and the amount of people that are going to see the uh, good that's going to come out of this is just huge. Yeah, that's really well said. I love the idea of, of the way you presented us with this visual idea of walking down this path. It just becomes deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, it's like, how many times are you going to hit that pothole? You're going to drive over it every single day, or maybe you should make a little whoop, whoop, go right around that bad boy. You know, you're going to blow, how many times are you going to blow that tire? But we do exactly. it. We do it all the time, Tim. Like, and it's, it's, in some way, I'm laughing because I do it. I'm like, I'm not laughing yes. at anybody's trauma. Like, I, I get it, man. You know how many tires I've blown hitting that same damn pothole? 
And yeah. finally, when you go around it, you're like, oh, I should have done that 40 years ago. What's wrong with exactly. me? You know, and it's so that's the therapy in a way. And I think that by describing what it is, it allows people that haven't yet come down that path to realize there's a pothole there. Like, hey, watch out for this pothole over here. It's like in Hawaii, there's all kinds of trails and people leave like a marker. You tie a little ribbon by a tree and that way you know where the trail ends or you know there's a workaround right there. <clears throat> I want to stay on Oregon for a minute. How is it being accepted in Oregon? I've heard that there's like a couple areas that are kind of embracing it. And then there's some areas that aren't embracing it, which is probably par for the course. But as someone who's there, it, it does seem like Oregon has a, a really good model for it. How, how is it being embraced there? Is it like 50-50, 20-30? Or how is it being felt there? Um, I would say it leans more towards the 80-30 level. Wow, I would nice. I would think that the rural areas really did kind of vote it out. It was a county-by-county county basis. So okay. every county got the option to opt out at the beginning of this year. There was another vote, and we saw that all of the rural areas really just kind of said no. But the larger metropolitan areas such as Salem, Portland, Eugene, Ashland, all of those areas, including the town that I live in, Bend, they all voted it in hands down it was it was stunning how many people really came through and wanted to see this implemented and we already voted on it twice so it was really uh you know showing us that this is validated and that people want it here in oregon people have been wanting this for years and uh these have lived in the dark ages for too long people have seen these as taboo uh you know mycophobia is uh, as a good term right you know everybody's kind of afraid of fungi they can poison you they can uh heal you they can uh nourish you you know they're so uh powerful uh and there is a respect to have for them they are very uh they're very powerful and we should uh be careful with this power that we have taken i would like oregon to be kind of uh the you know looking looked at from other states that may be legalizing in the future as kind of the route that they should take we i want them to look at us and say okay they're doing it right over there right. this is you know the the methodology that we should take leading forward um i want us to, i want to see a responsible and mature uh pathway taken here I, it, there was kind of a wild wild west thing that kind of happened mm. with the beginning of cannabis legalization right. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, even currently there's tribulations and huge problems in the cannabis industry. And I don't want to see a cannabis 2.0. Uh, I want to see, you know, the, uh, the psilocybin community come together, you know, and really kind of strive for something different. This is different. And I want to see it treated as such. We should really, um, strive to be the example that leads the rest of the states to kind of go forward and also reach for legalization. I would like to see this spread to everybody that needs access to it. I think that, um, you know, driving down uh, prices out here would be a good start. Uh, you know, I'm working with several nonprofits in my local area that will be trying to uh, provide for people that suffer from PTSD and uh, multiple ailments uh, to be able to provide them with free medicine. So I really think that uh, this is something that is just, you know, we're at the beginning of it and there's a lot of hope. And I think that we need to treat it, like I said, with respect and uh, really kind of nurture this society, the society that we're trying to build. You know, we're really trying to, you know, be like the fungi, be a mycorrhizal community <laughs> that just, uh, you know, helps each other. We feed nutrients across to each other and we, uh, you know, try to help one another. So 
I'm in contact with almost all of the uh, people that are really getting into this at the beginning. And we're just, you know, trying to help each other. You know, we don't want to uh, see that race to the bottom that's currently going on in the cannabis industry. It's a real shame to see uh, these people that have, you know, put their whole entire lives into creating a product that is, you know, refined and tailor-made for the industry and really just uh, it's, it's being sold for a drop bottom price at this point and there's no room for any type of profit and I just really see uh, uh, unmotivation for new entrants into the market for cannabis at this point just because of all the problems that there currently are and uh, I don't think that uh, fungi should go that way. I think that we should try to strive for something different. We should learn from our mistakes in the past. Uh, at least you think we should. Uh, and I would like to uh, try to, you know, hopefully kind of nurture that myself. I would like to help anybody that would, uh, you know, reach out to us that's maybe in this community trying to start something of their own if they are, are struggling currently, uh, reach out to me. I would love to have a conversation and just uh, talk more about this. Like I said, it's my favorite subject. So uh, anybody that is out there trying to do something, uh, it's, it's not all competition. We can help each other and we can make this work. So definitely uh, something to work for. Why do you think it is that cannabis is at this race to the bottom? Is it is it people strictly racing for profit or is it because there's been some big movers and shakers that got involved in it or is it some sort of cartels moving up? Like what is it? Is it because that there's just so many dispensaries or like is it the market is flooded? Like why is it that it's such a race to the bottom do you think for cannabis? Well, I kind of have a couple of theories for that. I think that one of the main reasons is definitely competition, but I think that it is bad players. I think that mm. it's people that are sitting on a large stockpile of their own product that they're unable to move. And then it only takes one bad player to decide to, oh, well, let's just drop our price as low as possible to move this back stock of product. And they're not looking at it from another perspective. The other person down the road is able to move this product at that price point. And why is that? It's most likely because maybe their packaging is better or they have better community outreach or they're uh, just a better salesman. And it has nothing to do with the product itself. It has to do more with um, how they're positioning themselves to the community. Um, if their product is at least as good as the other person's, they should be able to move it at the same price. And once a person, that bad player, decides to lower the price to that drop bottom level, that creates a domino effect. And everybody else now has to start to kind of meet that price point. You know, uh, you constantly hear somebody will come to you and say, hey, well, I can get it down the road from somebody else for a lower price. Uh, and they're able to provide it to me. It's almost the same quality product. And then that creates a big problem for me. Now, what do I do? I have to either one, drop my price to meet them or I lose that customer. So I think that starting with dropping your prices is probably the last thing you should do. You, sh you should probably, if you're sitting on a large stockpile of product, you should probably look at maybe donating it to you know one of the nonprofits if you have a large stockpile and you have the ability to do something like that it may be a lower price you could you know find some sort of negotiation to where it could go to one of those other communities or um, you could uh, potentially you know look at uh, other reasons why your product might not be moving um, but I really think that the race to the bottom it is a shame and there's probably multiple factors like you said there could be uh, the fact that the cartel 
and uh, you know black market are able to provide at such a low drop bottom price that uh, the industry feels they have to meet that lower price standard. Um, I think that the service centers are not really going to have to deal with that though. Um, an interesting thing with us is the price of the product is really going to be kind of the the lower end of the bill. Whenever you show up to one of these service centers, since you're going to be locked into staying in the service center for the whole entire trip, you're going to be, you know, paying for the time that you're spending with the, you know, individual who is watching you, your trip sitter, essentially. So the price of the actual fun fungi will be almost a non-issue whenever you're actually paying for all the service charges that will be stacked on top of that for being inside of the actual facility. So I, I'm, I'm not thinking we'll see that being as big of an issue on our end, but um, I think on the cannabis industry it could also most likely is the fact that it's just too many growers right now. There's too many people out there that just have it's easy to grow cannabis and there is, you know, so many warehouses that even I know of just in Bend that are growing as much cannabis as they possibly can. There is no plan for slowing down their operations. They're just assuming they're going to be able to sell everything that they grow. And there is just no really place for it to go. Uh, there's currently uh, plans of potentially trying to see if we can, uh, you know, outsource to Washington, maybe do cross border uh, sales. Uh, that's something that uh, is exciting that might potentially happen, but obviously there's a lot of things that have to change before that would be into effect. Um, yeah, like you said, there's multiple factors. It really comes down to, I think, though, bad players just not really recognizing that dropping their prices is it, it's maybe good for them in the short term, but for the whole entire community in the long term, it's a bad play. And it's really going to, in the long run, affect them as well. Uh, because once those prices drop, you really can't bring them back up. What and what what was a like what's a good price and what's a low price? Like what what was it at and where is it at now? And like if you give us some some price structures. Well, I think that a fair price for cannabis really at the beginning was around $13, $14 a gram sold to the customer. Uh, and that's after tax. Um, right now, you're currently seeing, you know, cannabis go for four dollars a gram, six dollars wow. a gram in the dispensary. Uh, I've seen the process prices of edibles drop all the way down to six dollars for a hundred milligram edible that used to cost thirty. Mm. Um, you know, it's really. Uh, I really don't see how some of these companies are able to survive without low price point. Uh, they're probably shedding employees and trying to uh, automate as much as possible, mm. which is a shame as well. There's, you know, workers out there that need these jobs and have worked a long time to hone their craft. So I just really think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a problem. The, the prices, I believe, I, I think that if you want to support your local dispensary, uh, you shouldn't really fret at a price point for really good cannabis. You know, if you're wanting to, you know, buy really good, but you should be paying a good price for it. You shouldn't, uh, you know, be able to go in there and buy it for cheaper than off the street, because all that does is really just nurture the ability for people to think, oh, well, I might as well just go get it off the black market as well, because, well, I can just, you know, go down to my buddy and get it for the same price. You know, so I think that 
I think that, yeah, it's, I think a fair price is definitely around the $13 a gram price point and then up from there for better quality bud. Um, $4 a gram is very cheap. Uh, if you can go in and buy a, a whole ounce for 60 bucks, uh, really where is the profit margin for the grower at that point? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to get to see what happens in, in a market like that. And for me, when I see it, you know, I automatically start thinking about parallel industries. And like, if I was growing cannabis, I'd be looking towards the wine industry. Like, you know, why not have a, a winery type of facility where people could come tour the gardens a little bit and you have like your, you, know, you come have a little bit of lunch over here. Here's a special thing you can have a little charcuterie box of different kind of weed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if you could begin to market it in a way that is an experience versus, you know, and maybe that comes down to customers too. You know, there's a guy that walks into the liquor store that maybe he wants to get an eighth of Jack versus someone that wants to go to a winery and have a bottle and have an experience. But I think there's room for that there. And that, that may be something that could extend, you know, into the world of psilocybin as well, because you had mentioned that there's in Oregon, it's going to be somewhat of a therapy based place where you go to a, a laboratory, not a laboratory, but a facility is, yes, is a service is, center. A service center. Thank you. And is it going to be, is it, are there cutouts for like a, a home practitioner or is it, is it specifically for a, 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 um, what did you call it again? A, a service center, a service center, Yeah, yeah a, a service center would have to be a brick and mortar location. It couldn't be uh, done out of your home currently in this uh, legislation. Uh, I believe that in the future, there'll probably be the ability for you know, uh, facilitators to be freelance and maybe even mm -hmm. visit people in their own homes oh, yeah. and facilitate, you know, through that method. Uh, but currently, I think that there's there's a lot of different, you know, potential as far as service centers and a lot right. of different businesses that could be thrown up around this. Um, I think you're going to see at the beginning, you know, your simple mom and pops, go in, get it done quick shop that, you know, it's a low price. You go in and you're able to do a couple hour trip for a fair price and just, you know, kind of get it done. And then there's also going to be the higher end service centers where you'll go in and pay upwards of $3,000, a trip. It might be a multiple day thing where, you know, you'll have multiple therapy sessions, multiple microdose classes. You might attend yoga therapy at the beginning of the morning, have breath work. Uh, there'll be, you know, uh, hot rock therapy on site massages stuff like that you know there's really uh infinite amount of uh things that could really be thrown into this you could do um overnight stays there's uh the ability to do outdoor settings mm. um i think that one of the big business potentials that maybe people are even overlooking is microdose facilities so they recently changed one of the rule sets so at the beginning it was a minimum of an hour you had to go into the facility and if you were even to take a microdose you had to stay in the facility for a full hour they've recently changed it to where if you're taking a microdose level of psilocybin the first class would be an hour because that includes the integration uh, time and then after that any other time this customer comes back a repeat customer for a microdose they're only have to stay for a half hour which perfectly fits into let's say a yoga class you know if you had 
a class of 30 individuals show up early in the morning and everybody takes a microdose and then they attend a 30 minute yoga session that takes care of the time that they're required to stay in the facility. And in a microdose level, a facilitator is able to keep track of up to 10 people. At a macrodose level, they're only able, it's, it's one person per, yeah. per individual. <laughs> but microdose, it's a little different. They can have 10 person per uh, setting. So if you had a class of 30, you have three facilitators. Each one of them is also a yoga instructor. They you know, administer the psilocybin to the customers, and then they do their class. After that, they leave another group of 30 people come in on a schedule. And the beauty of this is you could even set it up as, let's say, a prescription, a subscription type thing. Mm -hmm. uh, every month, you know, you're set up for three classes out of the week, you show up on those days, and you take your microdose, and it would be it would be set up to be kind of like with your microdosing schedule, whatever days you typically take three days on three days off five days on five days off, however you do it, you could show up for classes on those days. Um, and I just think that, uh, yeah, that's a really great model that I think that nobody's currently doing, at least that I see, uh, that would be one very profitable and I think very popular as well. I think that, uh, combining microdoses with any type of, you know, breath work, yoga, um, maybe even, uh, float tanks, yeah. uh, stuff like that would be very interesting. Any, uh, buddy entrepreneurial out there, I heed you to, uh, you know, I would really want you to go out there and kind of. You know, give some thought to it. There's multiple things out there that this could really do uh, benefit to. I think that even the uptake and creativity, you know, do a, a micro dose and a painting class, you know, have people come in and take a little micro dose and everybody sits there and learns how to do oil paintings for an hour. I think that would be very fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I know that here in Hawaii, like Kaiser partners, like if you, if you, if you have Kaiser as a, uh, as a provider, then they will pay for your gym membership if you go X amount of time. So I could see providers beginning to, you know, maybe pay facilities or give them a little bit of a cut if if the people under their care go and use that. And it seems to me that, you know, the, the natural progression for psilocybin or psychedelics or entheogens is going to move from medical treatment to medical to optimization because I think that people could go in, have a micro dose and, and it could be a creativity class. It could be an athletic class, but once exactly. you begin to move past this idea that you're healed, I think the next progression is, okay, well, how do I become the best I can be? That seems to me what happens to a lot of people that I speak to that are like, oh, I used to have this problem and now I don't have that problem anymore, but now I'm doing these other five things that I never thought of before. And it's, it's almost like you're, not only fixing some of the problems with the negative feedback loop, but you're optimizing the way you think. And when you do that, you begin to live a different lifestyle. So I, I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, do you, it sounds to me like one of the reasons Oregon is setting up the, 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 the rules the way they are is they're trying to find a good way to tax the business so that they can get some of the revenue back, which is a logical thing to do. And I, th I think that it's going to be a boon for them. I would imagine that not only would you be able to tax it on some level, but you'll also see a huge benefit to mental health, which is healthcare longevity. Do you see those same things being a boon for Oregon as far as tax, but mental health and, and healthcare and stuff like that? 
Oh, yes, yes. I see that in the upcoming years, we're going to really kind of see uh, this pay dividends. Uh, yeah. It probably won't show the results at first. Uh, it'll probably maybe be five, six years before we really start to see the fruits of this law change really come into effect. Um, the thing about this is it's an, it's it's not just going to change overnight. People aren't right. all of a sudden going to be cured of uh, their ailments. Uh, and the world just all of a sudden become a beautiful place out here in Oregon just because this law changed. But uh, over the long run, I think it's going to be massively beneficial to everybody. Um, and then, like you said, uh, after, you know, you have gone through the ringer of, uh, you know, the deep dives and you've addressed your deep causes of, uh, you know, what's affecting you, uh, there is a maintenance aspect to this that could be tapped into. Uh, you know, come in, you know, once a year, twice a year to just, uh, you know, get that feeling back, uh, you know, help you with your uh, serotonin uptake a little bit and kind of tap back into that feeling that assisted you at the beginning. So, um, you know, I, I'd really like to see, uh, you know, stories of people after they've gone through the sessions. I hope that, you know, there's podcasts that come out about this. I'd love to maybe even start something of our own that after people have consumed our product to uh, after six months, do a check-in with them. And then a year later, do another check-in with an individual and kind of just, you know, have them tell the story about their trip. And then the second one, have them kind of talk to us about how it changed their lives and the effects that they still see in their everyday life from it, you know? So uh, definitely, definitely uh, some cool things that are going to be happening soon. It's so amazing to me. You know, um, I was reading one of your posts about mushrooms in Chernobyl and how like the fungus kind of comes in and it cleans everything up and kind of recreates an environment where things can grow. It, it, it breaks down and rots the things, you know, or, or it breaks down the rot a little bit. I know that's not exactly right, but I'm saying that because it seems to me the same way that the fungus can come in and clean up a nuclear disaster that, the fungus like psilocybin is coming up and cleaning a human disaster of the mind. Like we have this idea that people are, are numbers and we have this corporate rule that is just like, get out there, work 50 hours or 60 or 90 hours a week. And you kick all the money up top to us. And the government is in bed with the corporations and the corporation. There's all this corruption out there. And yeah. me too. I'm corrupted too. I, I mean, I'm not taking myself out of this. Like I make tons of mistakes and I've, I've done a lot of dumb things, but it seems to me that the same way the mushroom is cleaning up our environment, we're seeing the mushroom come in and clean up our mental environment. And I, you can see it beginning to happen with these testimonials and people that are changing their lives and finding a better path and making a new version of themselves. So like, isn't it strange? How, like that can't be a coincidence, right? No, it's just the power of the fungi. You know, yeah. it really is. Uh, it it unlocks something in your mind that just it it allows you to look at things from a different perspective. It really does. Whenever you're allowed to get yourself out of the picture, you're allowed to get your your own personal baggage unloaded and just look at things from a completely different angle. Um, it, it really changes how you see the world. It, it, it really does. It's it's an indescribable feeling. Uh, if anybody who's taken mushrooms, everybody knows you can't describe it in words. It's just something that you have to experience. Um, and like you said, it, it cleans up your mind. It really, it's kind of like 
it categorizes everything into your mind and you see kind of all the things that are hindrances and positives and you can kind of take account for all of them and you know just clear them out of the way you know here's the things that i want to keep and here's the things that i don't so um same thing with the cleanup of chernobyl whenever it's uh, you know a piece of wood that is you know infected with radiation and the fungus is able to go in there and cause that piece of wood to disintegrate quicker and now that piece of wood is gone and the fungi um i'd have to do a little bit more research but i think that even the fungi maybe even be edible after this uh wow. even though it has you know existed on a radiation infested piece of wood so um i wouldn't want to be the test uh <laughs> guinea pig to uh eat those but uh you know there definitely have to be some research put into that but um i think that yeah it, it's there's a lot of potential for fungus to do some really good in the world uh not to mention uh radiation cleanup but uh the cleanup of oil spills and the recycling of plastics and uh crop management uh we waste so much of our uh crops every year and just the amount of waste that comes out of uh agricultural farm is staggering uh and if we can uh you know convert that possibly into edible mushrooms why not do it you know it's a it's a great way to uh maybe use some of that waste um yeah there's so much potential for mushrooms it's insane yeah i you know i i, I love I love that we live in such a technological world in some ways. Like it's so cool that I can talk to you right now and we can discuss these ideas. And a lot of the times technology uses biomimicry to come up with what they say are new ideas, but they're really just trying to copy nature. And it seems that a lot of our models, whether it's business or a lot of isms are built on this idea of, of nature. But what, when I think about mushrooms, I think of like the way the hyphae grows. And I think the way that, like the mushroom can break down different boundaries or break down different substances. And, you know, it just seems to me like it's a, it's a better model. Like we're, we're trying to grow together and it makes me the same way I look at mushrooms as like a super organism. I'm big. And maybe this is cause I'm eating too many mushrooms, but you know, I'm, I'm beginning to see that like, we are like the mushroom. Like we as a group of people are like a super organism, the same way that even though there's one fruiting body of a mushroom, it's part of a super organism. And if you can yes. begin to see that, like it changes your outlook on life. It does give you this objective observer look at your life and the people around you. And you can recognize yourself and other people and like this is a big part of therapy that we've been trying to get through to people. And it seems that that aspect of understanding that you are everybody else, that you, in you resides the same problems as the other people, even though you may not describe them the same way. And like when you just begin going down that road, it, it, it really is a therapeutic avenue. It, can, maybe, maybe let's jump to you would be you had spoke at the beginning of this conversation like. We maybe I can ask you what was it about your initial, you know, foray into the mushroom? Like, what got you to be where you were, to where you are now? Okay, so uh, I'm gonna go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, so, let's do that. Um, well, it all started quite a while back. So <laughs> let me start with my father started a landscaping business whenever I was young, and we worked together from whenever I was 14 all the way up into my you know, up into my late twenties. So basically I would go out every summer during the season and we would work hard together and just mow lawns, do the landscaping thing. And 
one day out of nowhere, he got very angry with me and I could not explain it. It was just, you know, off put with me for some reason. There was problems. It seemed like he was always giving me the bat, the, the worst work he possibly could. And just very shruggish with me. Wouldn't, you know, respond to me like he normally was. So at the end of the day, I asked him, you know, what's going on? And I was 17 at the time. And he looked at me and said, you know, I know you stole those mushrooms out of my bedroom. And I looked at him with a straight face. I said, no, sir, I did not steal any mushrooms from you. I've never tried mushrooms. And it was the truth. I hadn't. And, you know, he blamed me for that whole year. You know, it was a, a big piece of content in the household. You know, every time he would see a, a mushroom or something, or we'd be cooking something with mushrooms, it would remind him of that. And, you know, it'd be a problem. So lo and behold, you know, about four years later, we're out on a backpacking trip and he'd forgotten all about it. So had I, and we're hiking out there in the middle of a beautiful day and we're hiking through Glacier National Park out in Montana. And he reaches in his pocket of these old pants that he hadn't worn in forever. And out comes this bag of mushrooms <laughs> that he had blamed me for three years for stealing. So he looks at me and he apologizes and, you know, he says, well, you're 20 years old, you're close enough. Let's go ahead and let's split this bag while we're up here. You know, they're pretty old. So let's go ahead and let's take them all. You know, they're probably not as strong as they were. So it was a pretty good sized bag. There was probably 15 grams of mushrooms in there. So we ate the whole thing, you know, thinking they're not going to be that strong. And we're walking along and they start kicking in halfway up. And I'd never tried mushrooms. Like I said, I didn't steal them from them and I'd never tried them personally myself. So, you know, just an amazing experience. I bonded with my father and man, I went fishing at one point on the come up and just that fish was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I swear. And I, I felt terrible. So I let it go, of course, you know, and just started realizing, you know, <laughs> the power of these things, man, they make you feel connected to the world and, you know, to my father and just like, uh, he apologized for blaming me for stealing those from me. And he <laughs> felt so bad. And there's like sure. a, a big moment where he, you know, just, uh, you know, he, he brought up all the times that he, you know, you know, was mad at me or, you know, blame me for doing something that I'd never done, you know, so it was a great experience. And then later on, I, I tried them more. And I, through later experiences, I, I go over my own anxieties. I was the shyest person in high school. I would not talk to girls. I would, you know, shy away from social events. And I was not the guy that would go out to parties and, you know, yuck it up with friends and all that. You know, I'd go home and play video games or, you know, be kind of a hermit. But through those mushrooms, man, I have these thoughts of, man, maybe, maybe this is the only time I'm going to have these experiences. Maybe this is the only life I'm going to live. And, Maybe there is something after this, but in case there's not, man, I better live this life right. to the most I can here and really just, you know, meet all those people and take those risks and just have as much fun as I can with this. And man, since then I've, I've met so many great people and I've just had so many amazing experiences that I would have not had the chance to have if I didn't get away from myself. You know, it was really, I was my own worst enemy. I didn't want to, uh, get out of my shell. And it really did. It, it took away all those feelings of anxiety that people weren't going to accept me or that I wasn't going to be, you know, uh, loved by my group or my peers. So after that, man, I've just, uh, I've really butted and I probably wouldn't be here today talking to you on this podcast <laughs> if it weren't for that. So that's such a beautiful story. I love the fact that you and your dad just tear into like a quarter each on your first time. <laughs> that's yeah. So awesome, but, man. 
They definitely were probably a little bit weaker. Uh, if I were to take a quarter of fresh mushrooms today, I'd probably be over the moon. Uh, we probably wouldn't have even found our camping trip, uh, our camping location if they had been full strength. But uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. And we took them in the middle of the day. So we got to see the sun go down and uh, we're able to, uh, you know, able to be sober enough to be able to find all of our wood just in time to be able to light the campfire that night and uh yeah it was just it was an amazing experience uh we ended up coming down around midnight and just the next day i woke up and i was like wow i i don't feel any come down from this it's not like alcohol it's mm -hmm. not like that stupid feeling that you feel after you know being sedated it's it's i feel clean and i feel like i'm happier today for some reason which was you know, a, a rarity, you know, for me back then. So definitely uh, the, the power of these things are untold. And I think that uh, I don't want to make people think that these are a panacea or right, that they can cure everything, you know, because a lot of people, I don't want to be the snake oil salesman on the side of the road selling you some, uh, a bad bag of gifts here, you know, uh, uh, but I do think that what they can do is address the root cause of a multitude of things. I think that depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction to drugs, um, you know, bad coping mechanisms, they're all related to something in the mind that's all tied to one thing. And it's, it's, it's probably trauma, something that you've experienced in your life that, you know, has affected you in a certain way that has caused you to create these coping mechanisms that are not healthy. Um, and personally myself, I believe that it was the fact that my parents had broken up at a young age and I was ferried back and forth between Montana and Oregon. I never really created strong bonds with friends or girlfriends. So it was like everything was temporary. So that made me not really go out and seek long-term relationships with my peer members and through mushrooms, I kind of realized that. And, you know, now I think that, you know, seeking out those relationships is very important in my life. Uh, I really uh, think that that's uh, kind of a key to life is uh, having good people around you and making sure that uh, everybody around you uh, is happy and that you're happy as well. So I think that mushrooms can help you facilitate that uh, in a positive way. It's not a chemical that's going down your throat every single day that, like I said, is a band-aid just covering up the problem you can actually have the realization of what the problem was and address it. Yeah. You know, hearing that story and hearing, hearing your analysis of all these different things that are happening to people and the long-term causes they, they cause, whether it's PTSD, anxiety, depression. And when I take that in conjunction with the story of you bonding with your father and him apologizing to you for thinking these things about you and you probably saying you probably having a lot of relief for him doing that. And just thinking about that bond, you know, it makes me begin to think that part of the problem we're having in society is this prolonged adolescence. And we're not learning how to fully use our mind in a way that is beneficial for a child becoming an adult. And when you can't use your tools effectively, you lash out, you're, you're angry. You're, and the more that I think about this, you know, I think in the future, what we're going to see is a, I always quote this book, The Island by Aldous Huxley, because in that book, there's a rite of passage for a child when they become an adult, the same way there's a quinceanera, the same way there's a bar mitzvah. 
you know, these particular rites of passage mark a point in a child's life where they have a transition into adulthood. And I think that that is what's happening on psilocybin is that you're beginning to see the way you are. And when you do that, you can change yourself. And maybe yes. this is, you know, maybe we're having these rites of passage in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s. Maybe that we should have been having these in when we're turned 13 or something like that. And society might be looking different because you can definitely make the case that there has been an absence of ritual. There has been an absence of spirituality. There has been an absence of connection and rites of passage for, you know, maybe since maybe the erosion came when we started moving into the, uh, the you know the industrial revolution like that's when things yes. kind of stopped happening so maybe we're getting back to that the more that i think about it the more i think that that's probably the case what, what's your take on that yeah yeah that's an interesting take for sure uh i think that if you look back at ancient societies one of the interesting things is these were reserved for the leaders and the the thought provokers you know uh at least uh the leader was at least advised by someone who had taken these spiritual journeys right uh, at one point. So, uh, and we see the exact opposite today in today's culture. It would be insane to uh, an individual if you heard, oh, the president is out, you know, on these uh, long ayahuasca journeys or uh, taking magic mushrooms at length to uh, try to come up with uh, ideas for how to run the country. But, uh, you know, it's not that crazy of a thought whenever you really think about it. Um, I think that uh, the way that society deems these things as taboo is a real is a real problem because uh, I don't want to say that everybody should take these, but I imagine what culture would be like if more leaders did have at least one spiritual psychedelic journey in their past. I wonder if some of them would even maybe not go towards uh, becoming a politician after having some of these journeys, if they would change their mind on the whole perspective as a whole. Uh, I'd be curious to see what, uh, you know, a, a leader that has had some of these journeys would, uh, the decision-making processes would be compared to somebody who hadn't, um, especially whenever it comes to uh, matters of, you know, war and, uh, you know, atrocities and how to, uh, you know, deal with foreign politics and just uh, relationship matters between countries. Like it would be stunning to see, uh, you know, a world that was altered by these chemicals and uh, it'd be more accepted as a whole in society. I think that uh, it would be, it would be uh, very beneficial if more people did uh, take this out of the dark realm and kind of integrate this into, uh, you know, something that, you know, everybody should maybe experience at least once if you have the mental fac faculties to handle it. I, I don't think that anybody that has uh, any type of, uh, you know, history of mental breakdowns or uh, possibility of schizophrenia should maybe, you know, maybe look at not doing something like this. There's other options that you can potentially take if that, if you are that type of individual. Uh, it's definitely not for everyone, but I think that uh, the benefits outweigh the negatives massively, uh, especially on a society level. Um, I think that, um, yeah, the, the world would be a much different place if everybody had tried these at least a couple of times. Yeah, I, I can imagine someone who's deep in debt sitting down with the manager of the bank on a couple, you know, on a, on a large dose of MDMA and trying to come to a... <laughs> You know what I mean? Or you have two world leaders that come to you have Putin and Biden to sit down. 
all right, you guys are both going to take each this giant dose of MDMA. We're going to solve the problems. We'll see you guys tomorrow. You know, I'm sure that yeah. you would come out. They come out hugging each other like, oh, we got all figured out. You know, we're being a bunch of dummies, man. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two there's two options. Either one, they lose their ego and it's a great option or they go deeper into their egos and right. they think they're gods. You know, there's always uh, <laughs> the people that do that. I've, I've witnessed both yeah. uh, in my uh, uh, mm. I've seen people that have done both. You know, you can you can get the positive benefits uh, where you have the ego loss and you become a better person, but then there's also the select few that I've seen that they take it and they think that, uh, oh man, I'm the best and I'm a God. And you know, th mm. there are those people. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That does happen. I, you know, if you look back to the sixties and I, I think that that is on some level, what people are afraid of is this a new Jonestown or some sort of new Manson family or something like that. And yeah. The truth is, it's probably inevitable that there probably will be something like that at some point in time. But it doesn't mean that it's wrong to continue to move down that path. You know, I yes, I I think people are right to at least be there. I say leery of that, but you know, I it, it's a fascinating thing to think about. You know, I was I was just thinking we were talking about rites of passage and we were talking about you know ancient use of it. Can you tell people a little bit about the article that you recently put out about the Aztecs and the ancient yes. mycology? Maybe you could just drop that on some people. Yeah. So in Aztec culture, it's it's very common to find these statues in Mesoamerica. It's it's a figurine of a man that has a mushroom helmet. It's either a helmet or his head is in the shape of a mushroom. And these are all deity figures and like i kind of touched on earlier uh these these chemicals were reserved for the leaders or the shaman of the society um it wasn't usually the 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 commoner who would have access to these at least not maybe during ritualistic ceremonies maybe once or twice a year but the the leaders and the shaman would have access to these at all times and they would usually go on very deep journeys uh, to become closer to their God figures. And I think that there's there's good evidence of uh, it being a positive benefit in their society. Uh, the way that they uh, would nurture their um, culture, you know, was very, uh, you know, it was it was more connected to nature. There was no, um, you know, waste of certain products. I think that also a connection to, uh, you know, just nature as a whole is can always just be a good thing um i think that uh they had definitely something figured out as far as doing it as a ritualistic thing and cultures have been doing uh this forever as as far back as we can look there has been records of uh people taking psychedelic drugs um not only mushrooms but other you know chemicals to alter their state of perception and it's through these altered state of perception that they were able to come up with some amazing revolutionary ideas of their times. So uh, who's to know what some of those ideas may have been, but, you know, uh, maybe the aqueducts came out of those trip sessions or, uh, you know, some of the ideas that they had about time and uh, their religious beliefs. Obviously, uh, you know, sacrificing people is one of the offshoots that probably was needed to be avoided but uh you know they definitely had uh some things figured out that we don't even understand today um and i think that uh you know like i said the, their leaders being having access to these was 
probably a benefit in their culture. Having a leader that was empathetic to the people and could look at things from an outside perspective uh, that probably you wouldn't come across not under the influence of these drugs. I think that, you know, just for creativity and the ability to, you know, solve a complex problem, uh, you know, there would be massive benefits for, from having these, uh, you know, introduced to your leader. So um, it, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's a reason that every society, you know, as far back as we can look has used these. Uh, and it's only till recent time that we have, you know, classified these and made these things illegal, uh, which I think that it's a mistake. Uh, and it's it's obviously not had any benefit. It's only put millions and millions of dollars into the pockets of people who are able to benefit from it illegally and, uh, you know, shied away from uh, any benefit that could possibly be gained from it, any research that could have potentially been done. Uh, and uh, like I said, the evidence of, uh, you know, Mesoamericans doing this, uh, ancient Egyptian cultures, uh, you know, it, it goes all the way back to some of the first beings that we've ever found uh, on this planet. The Iceman that was discovered uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, he had, uh, you know, psychedelic chemicals on him, you know, uh, in a place of significance. It was in his, you know, pocket, basically, you know, or his form of a loincloth pocket. So it was something that, you know, he was probably using at the time uh, in a ritualistics form, you know, uh, I think that in these, these share close ties to the human brain. Uh, there's mm. whenever psilocybin is absorbed into the brain, there's a serotonin receptor that actually accepts this molecule perfectly. It's like a key into a lock. And why would that exist if it wasn't meant for it to happen? You know, there's, you know, um, we've, we've evolved with these chemicals. Uh, I think that, you know, it goes beyond, uh, you know, even our evolutionary past, it was something that was probably, you know, consumed as far back as history can go. So um, the benefits are uh, untold. I think that I think that we need to kind of get back to the old ways and maybe, uh, you know, kind of start to look at the benefits that were taken from the ancients and start to uh, implement those into our modern day society. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Terrence McKenna wrote a book called The Archaic Revival. And he talks mm -hmm. about when, you know, when societies or cultures get into trouble, they look back to a time where things were at a point and working, you know, and, and he talks about how, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, the idea of us taking mushrooms, the idea of us being in tune with nature was when things seemed to work pretty well. We've yeah. gotten so far away. Just look at the idea of specialization. Like if you look at doctors or surgeons, everyone's like a specialist or even in the world of business or a lawyer, like these people are all specialists and we're so specialized that it's like a world of abstraction. Like we, we don't even know, like I, I don't even know the language that some of these specialists use. And it's, it's just, just it's, it's so strange to me to live in a world where people are not, not only in relationship to each other, but exactly the same, only 100% different. If that kind of makes sense. Like, you know, the, the, we're not even speaking the same language, even though we're using the same words half the time. And we're barely able to communicate. We're so deep in this world of abstraction. But I, I do think that if 
psilocybin is creating or these entheogens and these different types of psychedelics are bringing back this idea of spirituality. And it's, it's almost like we're rediscovering ourselves. Sometimes I think this whole idea about the alien is just us recognizing ourselves for the first time. Like we haven't noticed ourselves. So we feel like we're like this alien, but when you do take a large dose of psilocybin or, you know, any sort of entheogen, you, you find yourself almost in communion with the earth. It's almost like the earth is talking to you in a way. It's almost like you realize, oh, I'm part of this thing. And that gets us back to the idea of a, a super organism. And I do think we're moving back in a way to where we're trying to figure out where we're going. Like we've gotten off the trail, we've gotten off the path and we got to backtrack a little bit and, and go back and find our way. I, I'm hopeful for the future. I really see it, even though there's so much turmoil and there's so much talk about war and there's so much talk about, you know, whether it's Trump or Biden or politics or all this stuff, you know, I think that they're all just distractions. I think people are beginning to kind of drop out of the narrative. And that's a big problem for people who are in charge and they're, resor they're re resorting to scare tactics. Like, ah, oh, we're all going to die. There's a nuclear war coming. This yeah. person's gay. Don't you get this person gay? You know, like, yeah. They're just trying to scare everybody. Like, who cares? We're not going yeah. to war. There's not going to be a nuclear yeah. war. Who cares if that person's gay? Let them be on a can. Who cares? Like, none of that matters. But yeah. the only way the people in positions of authority can get our attention is to just wave this big mask and like, put on that scary mask and try to scare you. And people aren't exactly. buying it anymore. I, I kind of, I, I love it. I'm, I'm really helpful for that. What What is your take on the the forward progression of culture in this time of false scarcity? Yeah, so I, I definitely think that uh, it's it's going to be beneficial in that regards as well. Um, I think that you know everybody is kind of all in their own you know ecosystem right now. We're all afraid of this, that, the other. We're all kind of uh, just you know focused on one thing, you know. And we're all focused on our own little lives and we don't, uh, you know, we don't, I think that we've lost kind of our ability to be like a, uh, you know, like, I don't know, we, we've lost our, our communal ways. We've lost the ability to, you know, like, when was the last time you really talked to your neighbor? You know, when was the last time that you, you know, uh, went out and met someone new? You know, or, you know, why do we let all these problems that are, are disagreements get in our way? Uh, why can't we just talk about the things that we do agree upon? Uh, I think that uh, with with mushrooms, especially if you've done them in the past, not under the influence currently, but uh, whenever you look back at your tr your previous experiences with them, you will have the tools to be able to, you know, maybe approach things differently. You know, I feel myself every day whenever I meet someone new or, uh, you know, something happens in my life that is, you know, maybe difficult. I can approach it from a slightly different mindset, you know, and I think that any individual who takes these in the future, uh, you know, as far as society goes, it's it's going to help, you know, with all these problems that we're currently seeing. Um, I would like to see some case studies as far as like, uh, just like does this really, uh, you know, make you more empathetic to your neighbor or to uh, a person that is not connected to you? You know, um, one of the big things is uh, we're known for being a warring culture. Everything is about, uh, you know, scarcity. We're trying to compete over, you know, you know, anything that might be, 
needed for to run our society any type of you know elements or whatever you know space uh what have you and i think that uh with looking at it from a different mindset if you've ever tripped on mushrooms you might be able to look at the other person's perspective and think that there is no need for competition maybe uh, a better route to take would be you know helping these people and coming to an agreement to where there's a fair trade or uh you know there is no competition maybe if like I would I'd like to see a world where, you know, there is no scarcity. Maybe we all realize that we're all hoarding all of these elements and all of these resources and uh you know we're we're making it to where the lower end of society can't have access and you know the upper end can, but uh there's no real reason to do that. It's all, you know, selfishness and uh a uh, just a, a bad mindset. It's 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 the ramp. It's the wrong neural pathway, and maybe we should write a different one. Yeah, I I agree, and maybe that's what's happening. This I, I often try to look at the macro to understand the micro, or vice versa. <clears throat> and I think that if you if we look at what's happening, just reading the literature, whether it's neurofeedback imaging when people are tripping, or whether it's anecdotal anecdotal stories or whether it's a personal experience you know we see a pattern of rethinking the way we have lived our lives and i think the more people that take mushrooms society begins to rethink the way they're living their life and when enough people do it you know there seems to be at some point in time there's a critical mass the same way the grasshopper becomes the locust so too do we as individuals become the wisdom of the crowd. Right? When there's enough of us coming together, we almost change the way we think. And when we do that, we begin to see new possibilities become active in the world. And a lot of times those can manifest as a communism or a socialism or a capitalism, but maybe we're on the cusp of a a new loveism or some sort of new ism. Something that, different. Yes, something different. I I think that if you would ask a lot of people in this space how they think about the future, they would say, I think we're getting ready for something different. And it's very difficult to describe something different because you don't have a neural pathway to do it yet until it yeah. happens. But I see yeah. it, like I feel it. And I've heard other people use language that explains a future that, is undescribable. And that excites me. I, I think with, and all you need to do is look at the world of chat GPT or, you know, this AI coming out and, you know, there's all these people like, well, we're going to stop this thing, man. It's, it's changing. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Right. It's changing yeah. everything. It's so cool. And people are afraid of change and, and rightfully so. If, if you have a lot to lose, you're afraid of change, but everybody's got a lot to lose. Everybody has a lot, but I think more than what people have to lose is what people have to gain. And I think that that is something that we can be focused on is not what we're about to lose, but look what we're about to gain. And I think that yeah. everybody could just turn that corner. We're really in for a world that is not only more beautiful than you imagine, but more beautiful than you can imagine. Is that yeah, too optimistic? Yeah, I, th I think that it is a very optimistic outlook, but it's a good it's a good outlook. And I, I feel the same way. I think that one of the reasons that, you know, it's so hard for people to change these things is because we get comfortable. 
you know right. the way that we do things it's it's become so easy to just keep doing the same thing every single day and why change it because it's it's not broke but yeah. in reality it is you know if uh, your life could benefit in so many ways if you changed certain aspects of it to uh you know get away from you know certain things that are not benefiting you in any way man in any form um and i think one of the big things is you know at least for me personally is you know probably you know admittedly not doing uh you know the things that I should when I should, you know, uh, being, you know, maybe uh, a little bit lackadaisical on certain things or certain subjects. But yeah. whenever I look back on it, you know, I realize that that's just a big stressor for me. You know, I'm, I'm creating more stress than it's worth. And if I just get that thing done, it's done and over with. And now I don't have to think about it anymore. And it's it's about getting out of that comfort and just, you know, the uncomfortable things are the things that you just need to finish and just get done with. So, and I think that, um, you know, a lot of people avoid those things because they're afraid of that change, especially whenever it comes to uh, the big things in life. So, yeah, I think fear is a big one. I know that for me, for a long time, well, for the last probably 10 years, I've been struggling with this idea of fear and overcoming it. And, you know, I, I've learned that the things that you see in the world that bother you are things about yourself that you need to work on. And for yes. me, fear was a big one. Like I, I kept seeing like, oh, this is this person's weak or and it just made me realize like I'm weak. I'm the person that needs to work on fear. And I think the yes. world is telling everybody whatever the world is saying to you and the way it says it to you is whatever you're afraid of. Like that's the thing you got to work on. So if you're afraid yeah. of 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 quitting your job if you're afraid of leaving a relationship if you're afraid of not being yourself whatever it is you're afraid of face it and your life will get yeah. better right and it, it's really exactly. hard to do even if i i may be afraid of leaving something that you think is silly but that that's irrelevant it doesn't matter what someone else thinks and that's part of getting over it don't worry about what the other people think if if something's bothering you if you're afraid of something start little start walking closer to it and eventually you'll get the courage to face it and you'll beat it. And I know it sounds crazy. People think that they have these giant dragons in their life and maybe they are giant. But I promise you, the more you begin to face that demon, the more you face that dragon, whether it's just one step at a time, whether it's looking it out in the eye or whether it's finally severing the ties, you'll get bigger, you'll get better and you'll get stronger and you'll become the better version of yourself. And I think that's how we make a better world is every individual starts facing their fears on some level, even if it's a small step. If everyone begins right. to do that, the world becomes a lot less scary. And the first step to that is identifying what the thing is that you're afraid yes. of, you know? Yeah. And I think that therapy, it does get you towards yeah. that. But Agreed. you could take the strongest individual you ever met and introduce them to these chemicals in a therapeutic session, and they will crumble. They will, yeah. they'll break down their walls and they will, you know, say things that they might not have admitted and, uh, you know, not let their personal hangups get in the way. And they'll, I think that it's really kind of a, it's a fast forward on therapy. <laughs> about, yeah, it really totally. is. It, it unleashes things and uh, uncovers things at a much quicker rate. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see the, uh, the amount of uh, methodologies and uh, things that people develop uh, for these 
therapy sessions like, uh, you know, what works, what doesn't, you know, what's the best uh, thing for somebody who's, you know, maybe uh, a violent alcoholic? What are the best, you know, tactics to take uh, with that type of individual as opposed to, uh, you know, what's the best therapy session for somebody who's suffering from severe depression? You know, how, how do we uncover that underlying thing that's causing that depression in their life? Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see all the things that, uh, you know, all the stories and uh, things that just really come out here in the next couple of probably months. We're probably looking at, uh, you know, the first people to consume will probably later on this summer, we're hoping. So that makes me think of this. Like, I want to, as you were saying that, and we were talking about plant medicines, I want to tie that to what we were talking about with the cannabis industry. And then that's going to lead to the, the psilocybin industry. What if the plant medicine is teaching us, hey, this isn't for sale. I'm going to drive this price down to zero. Yeah, people should grow it and just give it away. Like, yeah. you know, maybe maybe that's what the maybe that's what the plants are saying like, yeah, you can here, I'm going to I'm going to tease you guys. You can make millions of dollars. Just kidding. You got to give it away. You know, yeah, what, yeah. same thing for mushrooms like, you know, people are desperately trying to find ways to patent it. Hey, I'm going to I'm going to put this little chemical over here. I'm going to have this crazy retreat over here and i'm not i'm not knocking retreats or making money or i'm not knocking any of that i think people should yeah. do all of it do all of it i'm for all of it but maybe that's the message is like but it's also free you know what i yeah. mean and like maybe that's what we we as a culture need to understand is that hey this whole idea of money this whole idea of making a profit on something is the problem maybe we should be trying yeah. to move that boundary of money out of the way and let's just judge people on each other. Like, let, let's just get back. And maybe that talks to what you were saying about getting back to a community. And yeah. the more that I think about it, like, yeah, like the weed is being driven down to, to zero. And like, but that's not, it doesn't have to be a bad thing unless you're measuring profit. If we're using mushrooms to measure mental wellness, then I don't know if a financial component goes with mental wellness, because I think of the finance it's not is the right what's causing the mental illness. You know what I mean? Maybe yes. that's the message. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that a, a large reason of why some of these chemicals were made illegal in the first place was for profit, you know, uh, you know, seeking and uh obviously from the pharmaceuticals they don't want pharmaceutical market, they don't want them to become legalized. Right. Uh, and I think that uh, you know, there's just I think that yeah the 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 reason that it I think that profit is definitely the wrong metric to look at right right whenever we're trying to think of how to weigh this because if you really want to see how well this is doing for our community you really want to weigh this on how many people is it helping? Yeah. How many totally. people come out the yes. other end of this as actual patients who have been affected in a positive manner. So uh, the financial component of it, it's, it's a byproduct potentially, but it shouldn't be the end goal. Right. I think that what should be focused on is making sure this is accessible to people. It shouldn't be uh, only reserved for the people who can afford a $3,000 a night trip or, uh, you know, uh, be able to go for multiple nights to, you know, just simply take a single dose. I think that, you know, you should be able to go in and this should be either one covered by your medical plan or somehow it be free. 
So, um, like I said, we're working with a couple of nonprofits. One of our plans in the future is we're going to sell all of the mushrooms that look, you know, perfectly in our product and our packaging, you know, all the tops, you know, any broken pieces, any pieces that are, you know, stems and just like small pieces of caps and all that, they can be separated out for donations to these nonprofits. You know, uh, ways to drive down prices for people who actually need the medicine, I think, should be implemented. Uh, the person who's just coming in to take a trip or uh, has no medical diagnosis, uh, sure, they, the, those people, they can be charged. But I think that the person who really, really needs it, mm. uh, the person who's been struggling for maybe most of their life with this issue, uh, taking medications that are poisoning their system and having no positive effect, uh, that have nothing but a, a terrible outcome for if they try to get off of them, they have these terrible uh, withdrawal symptoms and this, that, and the other. Uh, I think that these people should have a better access to it. And I think that uh, <clears throat> profit should not be the main thing for those people. I don't think that we should be trying to make as much money out of them. And the thing with these chemicals is, it's it's not like it's not like a a, a patented pill that mm -hmm. somebody takes every single day and they come in and th now they're they're on a drip line for me. They have to come in and they have to buy this product all the time. They th they can achieve the same level of you know, benefit through one, two trips. So yeah. that's probably a big reason why you don't see the pharmaceutical culture really trying to jump into this because they don't see a vehicle for large scale pro profits. They don't really see a way to one, they can't patent a, uh, an organism, you know, they'd have to go in and they'd have to synthesize synthetically manufacture psilocybin and alter it in some way to be able to make it patentable. And then if you're only taking one pill or three pills a year, where really is the profit margins for them? So, you know, th th that's probably why they're not jumping into it full steam. But I think my main my main motivation is I want to help people the way that it's helped me and the way yeah. that I've seen it help other people. You know, I've seen this have a massive effect on people's lives. Uh, it's completely changed people like you see them, uh, you know, uh, addicted and they are near drop bottom. They're at the, the worst point of their lives and they start microdosing. And then mm -hmm. a year goes by and you see them again and yeah. they're, you know, have a new job and they're clean cut <laughs> and they look happy and healthy and they've gained weight back from, you know, the, the addiction problem that they had. And it's like, wow, this is, this, it changed their whole entire life. And you talk to them about it and they tell like, I wake up every morning and I just feel more motivated. And I, I, I looked, I had a couple of big doses and I saw the mistakes that I made and mm -hmm. I don't make those mistakes anymore, you know? And it's, it's really motivating to see a positive change and actually see that this helps. Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not, at this point, it's definitely not just uh, a couple of people. It's, it's, this, these really do have a, an effect on a lot of people. Almost everybody that I've seen take them uh, benefits in one way or another. And the people who have, let's say, a bad trip, it only extends through the bad trip. They don't have negative consequences right. after. It's not like they go and they have a bad trip and then for the rest of their life, they're negatively affected by this experience. But the people who have the good experiences are positively affected throughout their entire lives Some, in some cases. Some people will describe it as the most beneficial experience of their life. Uh, you know, it'll be uh, akin to a spiritual journey or a religious experience uh, in our past. You know, it's, it's, it's something like that. Uh, people would describe it as like, uh, 
you know, after my kid was born, I felt like a different person. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it not it it didn't I didn't physically change, but I felt changed. It, it after I took mushrooms, I felt changed. Something in me was different than before. There's, there's the yeah. old me, and then there's a little bit of a different me. And I don't mean like it altered you and like it turned you into a different person. It just it helped you kind of you know. Take, like I've said a couple of times, take account for the things that you don't like about yourself and the things that you do and be a, it kind of allows you to get rid of those things that you don't like. Yeah, that's that's really well said. I um, Yeah, I really think that helping the people that need it and getting a price point for them is something that's doable. And maybe I'm just kind of spitballing here. But maybe there could be a two-tier model. Maybe there's a model for medicinal and therapy, and there's a model for optimization. Because I could see optimization coming with incredible neurofeedback technology, you know, um, long-term, you know, uh, athletics, and you know, people would pay a lot of money for high-tech optimization and the merger of psychedelics. But people, the first step is getting healthy. The first step is therapy. And those people, you know, you could be giving, hey, here's all these broken stems and caps. Who cares if they're broken? You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the people that want the they're optimization. Ground up and put into a pill. Yeah. The, the people that want the optimization are probably doing pretty well. And yeah. those are the people that would like, hell yeah, I'll pay more here. Oh, and, yeah. and on top of that, you're going to get three days with this coach that, is badass and they're at the top of their game and they read a 400 books a year and you're going to hang out with that guy for three days and you're going to do three different sessions with three different people like him. Like now you're yeah. talking about taking someone to the next level and people would pay tons of money for that. And that's a yeah. fair deal because they want to do it. They're getting value for it. But the person at the bottom that's broken, we got to fix them. So that they can go to optimization camp. Yeah, yeah. I think the that's people a, I think who that's is a good who who is an essential who need it. Yeah. Like I said, the people that have been struggling with this have been struggling their entire lives. Yeah. I personally know somebody who is they've taken anti-anxiety pills their entire life. Yeah. You know, from whenever they were first diagnosed, whenever they were young, all the way up until now, they've been on these pills. And I personally saw him acquire mushrooms through another source, and he was able to start microdosing and. He says that it's it's night and day difference for him. He was able to taper off of these anti-anxiety medications and really just, you know, it's kind of a similar story to mine. You know, realize that there's nothing to be scared of out there. You know, the world is a scary place, and but you can't control it. Worry about the yep. things you can control, not the things you can't. So mm-hmm. I really think that, you know, it, it, it makes you have a different outlook and a different way of looking at things. It really does. And uh, it, it, that's so helpful for everything in life. Uh, if you can get rid of yourself and take yourself outside of the picture slightly uh, and really look at things for what they are, it's, 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 it's a game changer. It really is. And the, and here's another thing too, that people may not talk a whole lot about mushrooms with, but I see it in people I talk to all the time is that the person that was at rock bottom that started taking mushrooms and got better. That's the perfect person to be a coach or that's the perfect person. Exactly. It's going to be in the optimization camp later. And that person's going to want to help the other people. It's exactly. like, that's almost what we've gotten away from is that we've just kicked these people to the corner. But like, dude, that guy lives under a bridge. He's a dummy. Maybe yeah. 
But maybe that guy's been through things that no one should ever have to go through in his life. Maybe we bring yeah. that guy back into the into the village, and that guy becomes the teacher. You know, maybe exactly. not all of them can do that, but there are people that can, and those people have like this ultimate sort of you know uh, character arc. That's like, I mean, that's what a hero is, right? Like someone that went to the depths of hell and then came back. Like if yes, those people, if exactly. we can find those people that came back. Those are the ones that have the empathy. Those are the ones that thoroughly understand what it's like to lose your mind. And those are the ones that end up coming up with the therapies that can help others like them. Right? Maybe that's all of our stories. Maybe that's something we should all be trying to do. And that's why we should be all becoming the best versions of ourselves so that we can help out the weaker versions of ourselves. And that's, that's, that's everybody. Everybody's a version of you at a different level, right? Exactly. If I was living your life and had all of your experiences in this body, I would be you. I would have, yes. I would, I would know everything you know, and I would live my life exactly the way you live. And if I was also, if I had all the experiences of that hobo living under the bridge, I would probably yep. be that hobo living under the bridge, just in this body. Uh, you know, and it's a shame that we really put uh, all these uh, stigmatism on people and uh, all these. Uh, we don't allow people any form of forgiveness. You know, we, we view them for what they are now and not what they potentially could be. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a road to uh, fixing yourself and becoming more mentally healthy. And uh, I think that it's a shame that we, we outcast these people and we don't, uh, we don't allow them to, you know, we don't even help them. You know, people step over these people and uh, they're, they're deemed as they're never going to change. But like you said, they have probably suffered some things that you would not imagine or that you could not even, you know, picture. Uh, if it, I, I would, I would be amazed to see somebody go through some of the things that I've heard of and not come uns out unscathed on the other end, you would be have to have a very hard will to, uh, you know, come out of this life without some sort of scarring, uh, you know, and I've heard before, like the worst thing that's ever happened to you is still the worst thing that's ever happened to you, whatever that may be. You know, it could be that you didn't get that Christmas present uh, every year from your grandparents uh, and you've held on to that your whole entire life. And now Christmas pisses you off every year. Uh, or it could be the fact that you were terribly abused whenever you were a child and that affects every aspect of your life and you cannot get past that something about that just it, it inhibits everything in your life every every decision you make and everything that you you try to strive for is hindered by this and being able to look at it like i said from the outside and be able to take atonement for it and just see yourself as is the victim you know you're 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 you can whenever you can take compassion yourself to yourself and see like Oh, this is you're you're a suffering person as well, and these are things that have happened to you uh, that you know you had no control over, uh, and it's it's these are things that you can let go of. You know, we're all walking in this life forward, and we just need to let the past be in the past, and you know, kind of strive to be better. You know, keep walking on this path and just look towards the brighter future. And I think that uh, you know through these medicines and through proper therapeutic techniques, I think that that's achievable. I really do. And I think that we can take, like you said, these people that are outcast and who've experienced these terrible things, uh, they could become our teachers, like you said, because they've, they've done the hero's journey. They've really, uh, they've, uh, they've, they've, they have all the stories, you know, they have all the, the, the pitfalls and the, the 
things to tell us to avoid. And, uh, you know, I, I would love to see, uh, you know, the effects that this could have on society. You know, it could help addiction. It could help with homelessness. It could help yeah. with uh, politics. It could help with, uh, you know, shoot, man, let's 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 shoot for the moon here. It could help stop war. You know, like yeah. uh, you'd be a little bit more uh, compassionate to your neighbor. Uh, you know, think about like the people that have have nothing to do with the decisions that, you know, you're making as a politician in that country and how it's going to affect their lives. You know, and if you, maybe you had that outside perspective and that thought, you might not make some of the decisions that you're making, you know? So this really could change the world. I really do believe that. And I think that it's a shame that ever since the seventies and late sixties that, uh, you know, these have been, you know, just thrown into, uh, the shadows. And I think that it's time that, it, uh, you know, it changes. And that's what I, I really commend you for bringing awareness to all of this. You know, what you're doing here is really important. You know, bring this out of the, out of the shadows and out into the light is really, it's really important. So. I appreciate it, man. It's, it's, it's really fun. I, much like you, I really enjoy talking about it and I enjoy learning from people and everybody that comes on, you know, I, I feel like one of the things I want to do whenever somebody comes on is I like, I want to give people the Tim Oliver experience, or I want to give people the, the Benjamin George experience. So when people come on, like I, I, I like I read all your stuff, man. I, I listen to what you say. And I'm like, dude, this guy's awesome. I want, I want him to tell his story on a bigger platform and amplify his ideas. I appreciate the kind words. And I love talking to people. And I think all of us in a way are playing a very important part. You know, there's one of my favorite songs has a quote that says, did you trade a walk on part in the war for a lead role in the cage? Pink Floyd, like, my friend. Yeah, right. And I feel like for a long time I had a lead role in a cage, and I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'll just take a walk on part on the war over here, man. It's it's so much yeah. more liberating and it's so much better. And I, I feel so much better about myself. And but I first song I learned how to play on the guitar was that. <laughs> Wish you were here. Such a great song. Such a great song. Man, <laughs> everybody I talk to is at some point in my conversation, Tim, with everybody I've talked to, I end up getting goosebumps and it's, it's always this weird <laughs> thing we connect with. Like I was just thinking that man. So I love the conversation, man. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how you're moving forward to see how the modern mushroom cultivation moves forward. I would, I would hope that at any point in time, you got anything you want to get out, you would reach out to me and I hope that you'll come back on. But before I let you go, where can people find you? What do you got coming up and what are you excited about? Uh, yeah, so we are actually going to be at the uh, SciCon uh, conference here in Portland, Oregon, here on the 19th of May. We're going to be uh, there as a guest speaker. We'll have a two-hour long panel. We'll have uh, you know, a questionnaire at the end. You know, Anybody who's going to be there, you know, feel free to come by our booth. We'll have uh, you know, our cards there, and we'll have multiple things, and you, know, you can talk to us, and we'll answer any questions that you have. Like I said, we'd love to talk about it. Um, our website is modernmushroomcultivation.com. We don't have much up there right now because we are not currently cultivating or delivering product. But as soon as we are, there will be a launch of information on that website. And if you subscribe to our newsletter, uh, that'll keep you all up to date on there. And we, you can also follow us on our LinkedIn profile, on our Facebook profile. We we're very, you know, we try to keep a constant flow of information coming up onto there. We so we post every morning at 9 a.m. We do a lot of research on all the stuff that we're trying to put up out to the community. So uh, we definitely try to be a good follow. So if you want to follow us on those profiles, definitely we invite you. Um, and on our website, there is a contact me page. It has 
my contact information as well as the business contact info. Like I said, if there's anybody out there who's, you know, starting their own business, working in this industry or anybody out there at all that just wants to talk about this or learn more about our company, feel free to drop us a line or give us a call. Uh, you know, we would, we'd love to have uh, anybody reach out to us at any point. So. Yeah. I would recommend everybody take advantage of that. Uh, Tim and his team over there, they put out articles that it's, it's not just about the psychedelic space. It's the history of the mushroom. It's different kinds of mushrooms. And it's, it's a really, um, you know, 20,000 foot view of this whole world that's changing around us. And it's, it's, it's really well done. So I would recommend everybody go check it out. And, um, I'm super stoked to have you, Tim. I'm sure you'll be back at some point in time. And, uh, I really love the conversation today, man. Thank you for your time. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to speaking with you more in the future. We literally just touched the uh, proverbial yeah. iceberg here. I got to like three of my uh, 25 topics that I had uh, <laughs> set up. So, uh, you know, next time you want to have us come on board, uh, you know, if you're ever looking to fill some air, let's go ahead yeah. and let's have another conversation. Uh, we can talk about more stuff about my genetics and uh, how we're working in the laboratory and all that type of stuff. So we definitely have a lot more that we can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that there's some interesting um cultivation techniques and and things that you have been uh researching so i'm excited to hear about all that and i definitely want the audience to hear about it so we'll be in touch soon and uh hang on for one second i'm going to close it down but i still want to talk to you for a moment ladies and gentlemen thank you for hanging out with us today aloha aloha everyone Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.